This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information and to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Maria Elming, Copenhagen, Denmark, January 2007. The Rosary by Florence L. Barclay. Chapter 27. The Eyes Garth Trusted. So, you enjoy motoring, Miss Gray? They had been out in the motor together for the first time, and were now having tea together in the library, also for the first time. And, for the first time, Nurse Rosemary was pouring out for her patient. This was only Monday afternoon, and already her weekend experience had won for her many new privileges. Yes, I like it, Mr. Delmain, particularly in this beautiful air. Have you had a case before in a house where they kept a motor? Nurse Rosemary hesitated. Yes, I have stayed in houses where they had motors, and I have been in Dr. Brand's. He met me at Charing Cross, once with his electric brougham. Ah, I know, said Garth. Very neat. On your way to a case, or returning from a case? Nurse Rosemary smiled, then bit her lip. To a case, she replied quite gravely. I was on my way to his house to talk it over and receive instructions. It must be splendid working under such a fellow as Brand, said Garth, and yet I am certain most of the best things you do are quite your own idea. For instance, he did not suggest your weekend plan, did he? I thought not. Ah, oh, the difference it has made. Now tell me, when we were motoring, we never slowed up suddenly to pass anything, or tooted to make something move out of the way, without your having already told me what we were going to pass, or what was in the road a little way ahead. It was, we shall be passing a haycart at the next bend, there will be just room, but we shall have to slow up. Or, an old red cow is in the very middle of the road a little way on, I think she will move if we hoot. Then, when the sudden slow down and swerve came, or the toot toot of the horn, I knew all about it and was not taken unawares. Did you know how trying it is in blindness to be speeding along and suddenly alter pace without having any idea why or swerve to one side and not know what one has just been avoiding? This afternoon our spin was pure pleasure because not once did you let these things happen. I knew all that was taking place as soon as I should have known it had I had my sight. Jane pressed her hand over her bosom. Ah. How able she was always to fill her boy's life with pure pleasure! How little of the needless suffering of the blind should ever be his, if she won the right to be beside him always! Well, Mr. Delmain, said Nurse Rosemary, I motored to the station with Sir Derek yesterday afternoon, and I noticed all you describe. I have never before felt nervous in a motor, but I realized yesterday how largely that is owing to the fact that all the time one keeps an unconscious lookout measuring distances, judging speed, and knowing what each turn of the handle means. So when we go out, you must let me be eyes to you in this. How good you are, said Garth gratefully. And did you see Sir Derek off? No, I did not see Sir Derek at all. But he said goodbye, and I felt the kind, strong grip of his hand as he left me in the car. And I sat there and heard his train start and rush away into the distance. Was it not hard to you to see him come and go and not see his face? Jane smiled. Yes, it was hard, said Nurse Rosemary. But I wished to experience that hardness. It gives one an awful blank feeling, doesn't it? said Garth. 
Yes, it almost makes one wish the friend had not come. Ah! Oh. There was a depth of contented comprehension in Garth's sigh, and the brave heart, which had refused to lift the bandage to the very last, felt more than recompensed. Next time I reach the gulf of partings in sightless land, continued Garth, I shall say, a dear friend has stood here for my sake. Oh, and one's meals, said Nurse Rosemary, laughing. Are they not grotesquely trying? Yes, of course. I had forgotten you would understand that now. I never could explain to you before why I must have my meals alone. You know the hunt and chase? Yes, said Nurse Rosemary, and it usually resolves itself into gone away, and turns up afterwards unexpectedly. But, Mr. Dalmain, I have thought out several ways of helping so much in that, and making it all quite easy. If you will consent to have your meals with me at a small table, you will see how smoothly all will work. And later on, if I am still here, when you begin to have visitors, you must let me sit at your left, and all my little ways of helping would be so unobtrusive that no one would notice. Oh, thanks, said Garth. I am immensely grateful. I have often been reminded of a silly game we used to play at Overdean, at Dessert, when we were a specially gay party. Do you know the old Duchess of Meldrum? Or oh, anyway, you may have heard of her. Ah, yes, of course, Sir Derek knows her. She called him once to her macaw. She did not mention the macaw on the telephone, and Sir Derek, thinking he was wanted for the Duchess, threw up an important engagement and went immediately. Luckily, she was at her town house. She would have sent just the same had she been at Overdean. I wish you knew Overdean. The Duchess gives perfectly delightful best parties, in which all the people who really enjoy meeting one another find themselves together and are well fed and well housed and well mounted and do exactly as they like, while the dear old Duchess tramps in and out with her queer beasts and birds, shedding a kindly and exciting influence wherever she goes. Last time I was there, she used to let out six Egyptian jerboas in the drawing-room every evening after dinner. Awfully jolly little beggars, like miniature kangaroos. They used to go skipping about on their hind legs, frightening some of the women into fits by hiding under their gowns, and making young footmen drop trays of coffee-cups. The last importation is a toucan, a South American bird with a beak like a banana and a voice like an old sheep in despair. But Tommy, the scarlet macaw, remains prime favourite, and I must say he is clever and knows more than you would think. Well, at Overdean we used to play a silly game at dessert with muscatels. We each put five raisins at intervals round our plates, then we shut our eyes and made jabs at them with forks. Whoever succeeded first in spiking and eating all five was the winner. The Duchess never would play. She enjoyed being umpire and screaming at the people who peeped. Miss Champion and I, she is the Duchess's niece, you know, always played fair, and we nearly always made a dead heat of it. Yes, said Nurse Rosemary, I know that game. I thought of it at once when I had my blindfold meals. Ah, oh, cried Garth. Had I known, I would not have let you do it. I knew that, said Nurse Rosemary. That was why I weakened Garth passed his cup to be refilled, and leaned forward confidentially. "'Now,' he said, "'I can venture to tell you one of my minor trials. 
I am always so awfully afraid of there being a fly in things. Ever since I was a small boy, I have had such a horror of inadvertently eating flies. When I was about six, I heard a lady visitor say to my mother, Oh, one has to swallow a fly about once a year. I have just swallowed mine on the way here. This terrible idea of an annual fly took possession of my small mind. I used to be thankful when it happened, and I got it over. I remember quickly finishing a bit of bread in which I had seen signs of legs and wings, feeling it was an easy way of taking it, and I should thus be except for twelve glad months. But I had to run up and down the terrace with clenched hands while I swallowed it. And when I discovered the fallacy of an annual fly, I was just as particular in my dread of an accidental one. I don't believe I ever sat down to sardines and toast at a restaurant, without looking under the toast for my bugbear, though as I lifted it I felt rather like an old woman, who always looks under the bed for a burglar. Ah, but since the accident, this foolishly small thing has made me suffer. I cannot say, Simpson, are you sure there's not a fly in the soup? Simpson would say, yes, no sir, no fly sir, and would cough behind his hand, and I could never ask him again. Nurse Rosemary leaned forward and placed his cup where he could reach it easily, just touching his right hand with the edge of the saucer. "'Have all your meals with me,' she said, in a tone of such complete understanding that it was almost a caress. "'And I can promise there shall never be any flies in anything. Could you not trust my eyes for this?' And Garth replied with a happy, grateful smile. "'I could trust your kind and faithful eyes for anything. Ah, and that reminds me. I want to entrust to them a task I could confide to no one else. Is it twilight yet, Miss Gray, or is an hour of daylight left to us? Nurse Rosemary glanced out of the window and looked at her watch. We ordered tea early, she said, because we came in from our drive quite hungry. It is not five o'clock yet, and a radiant afternoon. The sun sets at half-past seven. Then the light is good, said Garth. Have you finished tea? The sun will be shining in at the west window of the studio. You know my studio at the top of the house? You fetched the studies of Lady Brand from there. I dare say you noticed stacks of canvases in the corners. Some are unused. Some contain mere sketches or studies. Some are finished pictures, Miss Gray. Among the latter are two which I am most anxious to identify and to destroy. I made Simpson guide me up the other day and leave me there alone and I tried to find them by touch. But I could not be sure, and I soon grew hopelessly confused amongst all the canvases. I did not wish to ask Simpson's help, because the subjects are, well, somewhat unusual, and if he found out I had destroyed them, it might set him wondering and talking, and one hates to awaken curiosity in a servant. I could not fall back on Sir Derek, because he would have recognized the portraits, the principal figures known to him. When I painted those pictures, I never dreamed of any eye but my own seeing them. So you, my dear and trusted secretary, are the one person to whom I can turn. Will you do what I ask, and will you do it now? Nurse Rosemary pushed back her chair. Why, of course, Mr. Thelmain. I am here to do anything and everything you may desire, and to do it when you desire it. Garth took a key from his waistcoat pocket and laid it on the table. There is the studio latch key. I think the canvases I want are in the corner furthest from the door, behind a yellow Japanese screen. They are large, five feet by three and a half. If they are too cubicent for you to bring down, lay them face to face and ring for Simpson. 
but do not leave him alone with them. Nurse Rosemary picked up the key, rose, and went over to the piano which she opened. Then she tightened the purple cord, which guided Garth from his chair to the instrument. Sit and play, she said, while I am upstairs doing your commission. But just tell me one thing. You know how greatly your work interests me. When I find the pictures, is it your wish that I give them a mere cursory glance, just sufficient for identification? Or may I look at them in the beautiful studio light? You can trust me to do whichever you desire. The artist in Garth could not resist the wish to have his work seen and appreciated. You may look at them, of course, if you wish, he said. They are quite the best work I ever did, though I painted them wholly from memory. That is, I mean that used to be, a neck of mine, and they are in no sense imaginary. I painted exactly what I saw, at least so far as the female face and figure are concerned, and they make the pictures. The others are mere accessories. He stood up and went to the piano. His fingers began to stray softly amongst the harmonies of the Venise. Nurse Rosemary moved towards the door. How shall I know them? she asked and waited. The chords of the Venise hushed to a murmur. Garth's voice from the piano came clear and distinct, but blending with the harmonies as if he were reciting to music. A woman and a man, alone, in a garden. But the surroundings are only indicated. She is in evening dress, soft, black and trailing, with lace at her breast. It is called the wife. Yes? The same woman, the same scene, but without the man this time. No need to paint the man, for now, visible or invisible, to her he is always there. In her arms she holds. The low murmur of chords ceased. There was perfect silence in the room. A little child. It is called the mother. The Venise burst forth in an unrestrained upbearing of confident petition. Keep far our foes, give peace at home. And the door closed behind Nurse Rosemary. End of chapter 27